0: Welcome to the Breakwater Podcast. In this episode, I was joined by Dr. Eric Smiltnik, Family Practice and Addiction Medicine Specialist, Dr. Lanou, Adolescent and Adult Psychiatrist, and Amanda Pohl, Outreach Specialist with Rogers Behavioral Health. We came together to discuss some drug trends that we've been seeing lately, as well as some unexpected substances that are being misused by youth. From gas station heroin to marigold seeds, I hope you find this discussion as informative as I did. Amanda and the doctors are up next. Dr. Lanou, Dr. Smiltnik, Amanda, you've all been on the podcast before in one episode or another, and we're really happy to have you back. Um, You were here a few months ago, Dr. Lanou and Dr. Smiltnik, to talk about medication-assisted treatment, or MAT, and recovery medications. And Amanda, you joined us on the THC podcast with Dr. Maloney. Uh, for those who maybe aren't familiar with those episodes or haven't had a chance to listen in yet, would you mind just introducing yourself to us and sharing a little bit about who you are and what you do? Dr. Smeltnick, let's start with you.
1: Hi, um, my name is Eric Smeltnick. I'm a um, family medicine and addiction medicine physician who practices for Advocate Aurora in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Um, I'm also a medical director of several treatment facilities, including um, NOVA Counseling Services and Blandine, and do some work with the corrections department as well. So I'm definitely happy to be here and um, love the opportunity to talk a little bit about um, some of the substances that people are struggling with in our community.
0: Thank you so much for being here. Dr. Lanou?
2: Hello, Um, thank you as well for inviting me here today. So I'm Sean Lanou and I'm an adult and child an adolescent psychiatrist as well as a board certified addiction psychiatrist and I work at Rogers Behavioral Health and work in a variety of our different programs um, in our mental health and addiction recovery service line throughout the nation and um, yeah just really looking forward to being here and chatting with everyone to get differing um, and important perspectives and just thinking about opportunities. As a child psychiatrist, I'm I'm really concerned with development and the, the ways that you know trauma um you know substances um you know can negatively impact people's um outcomes and perspectives and i'm also really interested and in, um, really hopeful about ways that we can intervene uh, when issues come up and intervene early and try to avoid that altogether if possible so um yeah looking to see the good and definitely looking to talk about how we can be helpful to our community here
0: Awesome. Thank you again so much for joining us. Amanda.
3: Hey there. Thank you. I'm Amanda. I'm also from Rogers Behavioral Health. Um, So my role, I'm the outreach representative. So I do a lot with um, kind of raising some community awareness, as well as being that kind of connection for the community to Rogers services. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining
0: us today. So we're going to talk about some emerging drug trends that we've seen across the U.S. and to some degree in Wisconsin as well. So let's just kind of dive right into it. What is FENIBUT? And I'm not even sure if I'm saying that correctly. P-H-E-N-I-B-U-T. And why are we seeing it pop up in drug overdoses recently?
1: This is a... Medication that was initially discovered in Russia in the 1960s, and it um, it works in a way that's similar to some common drugs, a muscle relaxer, um, baclofen, and um, one of the um, a really commonly prescribed medicine for um, for pain and anxiety, something called um, gabapentin or neurontin. It does cross the blood-brain barrier. It increases dopamine a med that hasn't really been controlled. And I think a lot of people will use it as kind of a substitute for these benzodiazepine medicines or, um, or like a Xanax or things like that, that people use on the street. But it's, it's something that's sort of, um, out there. It's not particularly regulated, um, not, um, not sold in the United States under really anything actually kind of goes by a slang name of Fennies is what I've heard. So, um, so it's kind of like if I can't get my Xanax, I get the Fennies is kind of the idea. So it's what we sometimes will see is that, that folks will, will seek out these meds either for novelty because they are perceived as as sort of safer, kind of more natural alternatives or that they are um, something that people want to use that may um, avoid detection of of standard drug screens. So sometimes people who are in court ordered programs or are employed in situations where they're being drug screened on a regular basis, that this is stuff that people may wanna get a hold of. A lot of times with this, it's it's been stuff that can be ordered via the internet. So what we've noticed is, and I'm probably like most other people, is that I've been ordering a lot more stuff on the internet with the COVID-19 things. And there's some stuff that I ordered that I hadn't seen that's available in my area at all. So it's it's kind of new horizons. So that's no different for people who are, who are using and experimenting with substances. Like I said, this was developed um, overseas. It, it has been uh, um, approved for some treatment of anxiety conditions, some pain conditions. So um, if people are sort of saying, well, I want to use something that helps with anxiety or pain, but I'm worried about the stuff that's on the street right now. Maybe I'll just order this stuff on the internet and it could be
2: interesting to me. So I would also add, thank you, Dr. Smoltnik. I agree with you, um, that, you know, why is this coming up now? Or, you know, maybe why are we seeing more of this is, you know, the risk for possible overdoses. Um, and when we get to the pharmacology of why that's such a big deal, Well, you can overdose on this medication all on its own, and certainly along with what Dr. Smiltman had mentioned about this could sometimes be a substitute for medications that sometimes people will use or abuse to to treat or self-medicate for anxiety. This medication works in a similar pathway, Um, but also what we really want to think about here too is it is not uncommon that the use of a medication or a substance um, like this would come up in conjunction with other substance use. And why that's particularly concerning is because just like when we see uh, the combination of benzodiazepines, which this medication is quite similar to, um, um, you know, overall that when we see it combined um, with, you know, opioids um or alcohol or other really sedating um uh, medications or substances, the combined effect oftentimes is not only additive, but it can be um you know exponential as far as the risk for respiratory depression, overdose, and possibly death. Um and, and that's one thing, you know, we're not trying to be alarmist here, right? You know, we're not we're not um trying to scare people, but I think it's really important that people have this information to consider so that they can make informed decisions. Because you know you can't just get it over the internet, um, and it, you know the reality is that it doesn't come without possible consequences. Um, so I think those are important points to consider as as well. Um, you know, in the fact that this medication has intentionally not been approved by the United States uh, Food and Drug Administration, and is actually, you know, not approved in, in the majority of, of countries in Europe um, either. So certainly something to be mindful of.
0: Thank you for that. So FENIBUD is kind of like you along the lines of a, a Xanax or an anti-anxiety medication. Another substance that we've seen talked about recently is Tianeptine, T-I-A-N-E-P-T-I-N-E. Um, also has been kind of nicknamed gas station heroin. What can you tell us about tianeptine and why it's especially concerning?
1: So this one um, is, is interesting. It's um, some nicknames of this is, um, is gas station heroin or gas station dope. Um, I've al- they also have been reported as um, named Zaza or Tiana. So a lot of times these drugs are kind of named after women the, um this was a, a compound that was discovered in France, also in the 1960s. And what what was kind of interesting is in the, in the 1960s, a lot of the chemists, um, this was really a time of um, where we looked to see, hey, can we unlock some of the therapeutics of the mind? And um, so there was a lot of chemicals that were researched and compounds. And we said, well, if we put these three together and we test them on mice or we test them on humans... What happens, and a bunch of them kind of ended up in like the trash, ban, trash bin of history as they didn't work very well for several reasons. And one of them could be that they actually weren't particularly effective. But the other issue may be is that they had side effects that were not very desirable, meaning that they either caused people to become psychotic or or they were particularly dangerous. So I think both these meds probably fit into that into that category. But, um, but this one was, um, was actually developed in France. It has some interesting um, things is that it hits a bunch of different receptors. It um, works somewhat similarly to like a tricyclic antidepressant medicine, like an amitriptyline, which are, is kind of a common sedating older antidepressant, but also works on, on some of the MDMA receptors um, and the mu-opioid receptor. And the opiate effects are really what people are looking for in the high-dose um, thing. This one actually is approved in some countries, um, some of the countries in Latin America and some European countries. Um, it was looked at by the FDA in the United States in the early 2000, and they declined to approve it. It actually is, um, with the recent use of overdoses, it's been um, labeled as a, a, a scheduled two controlled substance in the state of Michigan, Um, and there is definitely, um, some withdrawal, um, and some recreational value to this med. So it's kind of an opiate like antidepressant is basically what, what the generally the marketing piece is. So it's, it's really kind of, um, that's, that seems to be where, where I've looked at what, where is kind of the niche market is and that opiate effect, um, um, is, is really the, the, the piece that if, um, people are kind of recreationally seeking it where, um, where this may be, um, where may be useful again, another med that is not FDA approved
2: to any degree. So totally agree. And I think the, the key thing here too, the number one thing I think of many to highlight is just that, as Dr. Smolick mentioned, this medication, um, is going to affect a variety of different receptors in our our brain and in our body. Um, Why does that matter? Because when when a medication or any drug or substance interacts through a variety of different pathways, it can have a variety of different effects, but also we have to think about, okay, how is that substance going to potentially interact with foods, um, supplements, other medications, other drugs, um, anything that a person may be consuming or be exposed to, right? Because these issues don't just exist in a silo. So not only the, are there the potentials uh, or potential for there being you know, sedation, right? Um, but also when used in combination with other drugs or alcohol, you could compound that, you could see overdose. This medication interacts with the opioid receptor, um, as I believe Dr. Smilzik mentioned. So there's going to be that possibility for euphoria, but also sedation and also risk for overdose. And then definitely, um, you know, one of the significant findings too, and a reason why when this medication was up for consideration for use in this country, why it was denied is, you know, just as Dr. Smilnick mentioned too, we have to think about, okay, number one, does a medication actually provide benefit in the way that we're hoping that it will, right? So does it actually create um, good or, um, you know, improve symptoms of sorts? Um, So you have to pass that threshold. Also, we got to make sure it's safe, right? Because even the medication, even a medication that works outstandingly well, you know, if, if, one out of every two people who take the medication end up dying or having significant complications, then while the medication could be effective, it's not safe. And what we saw is that there could be some significant hepatotoxicity or significant liver damage in individuals who take this medication. Um, So I would say just something to consider. We're not saying that, that, you know, you know if people disagree with the fda or other kind of monitoring guiding entities or bodies certainly that that is that is their um option and, and certainly things that we we always want to be able to question right we always want to understand kind of where our data is coming from and why but i think as we do that deep dive and we're thinking about like hmm, why isn't this medication approved in this country and why can't we get it? It's, those are some of the very reasons why when we think about efficacy and safety.
0: Dr. Smiltnik, you used the word supplements earlier. Dr. Lanou, you used the word supplements. And that's where some of these products are being sold. They're being marketed as supplements. And so they're not FDA approved for use in the United States. They're not prescribed in this area. It's not necessarily something you can go pull off the pharmacy shelf but they're being marketed as supplements. You said, again, Dr. like that people are doing more online shopping now. I know I am, you said you are. And those certain words, those key words, organic, all natural, you know they kind of instill in us a picture of health or an idea of health. So when it comes to substances like these being sold as supplements, I can see where people could just think it's healthy, Or think it's a good thing. It's a natural supplement to help reduce anxiety. It's a natural substance to help me deal with depression. And I don't want to take a drug or a prescription medication that's not natural. Um, When it comes to supplements, what are some good questions to ask? Or what do we need to know about or think through before making that
2: purchase? Certainly an implication that a supplement or organic, all natural that, well, it has to be good for you, right? Well, it, it may be, um, but, but inherently simply being a supplement or being organic or all natural is not necessarily, um, safe. I mean, we could look to example, like cocaine is naturally occurring, right? Uh, marijuana is naturally occurring. And I know that's a whole other can of worms that we'll probably get to, um, arsenic, you know, is naturally occurring, um, um, so I think that simply if something naturally occurs in nature or is organic, that within itself doesn't always necessarily mean that it's good or safe. The thing that we need to think about when we're thinking about any supplement, anything that we're putting into our bodies or being exposed to is what is the literature to show again, um, about its efficacy, right? If you're going to take something, why are you taking it? What, what, what is the ultimate reason? Um, and it, is, so is it effective? Um, and is it safe? Um, you know, the, the reality is that anything, um, you know, for the most part that is taken in excess or, you know, outside of normal physiologic range, even, you know, like vitamins, like vitamin C, right? Typically um, agreed to be, you know, healthy, safe, natural. I mean, th- there could be complications to, you know, your kidneys if you have too much vitamin C in excess or, things like that. So I, I think understanding the why um, of why an individual is wanting to take a substance um, or a supplement, and then thinking about how safe and effective it's been shown to be. Lastly, I'll just say is that oftentimes, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, that, you know, when people, whether it's a, it's a supplement, right, or whether it's a substance or, or a drug, if you will, um, oftentimes, kind of those two pathways of using something in order to feel good um, or liking the, the effects or to not feel bad, right? It, it, that, common, that, that sort of common thread of self-medication is very common. What I see time and time again, Dr. Smoltonik, like, I don't know if you'd agree or not, but l- let's just talk about drugs, for example, that, that even when someone starts using drugs um, or misusing supplements or whatever it may be, to kind of chase that high, eventually, what typically happens, I would say in a significant number of cases over time, is that um, the effects of that begins to change neurochemistry, physiology, Um, if dependence comes into play, that people start by chasing the high, but, but things start to transition over time, so that they start running away from the withdrawal or they start trying to kind of escape, um, the come down of like, I feel really good when I use cocaine, but you know, like when I come down, I feel horrible. My depression is just really, really bad. So, so you sort of get into this vicious cycle of then needing to use just to feel normal. Um, if you will.
1: No, I, I definitely agree with that, that, that that's, um, and I mean, we've looked at it even in in folks with um with like smoking. And if you look at some of the nicotine curves and stuff like that, um, that most people who are more than a half a pack a day smoker, they don't really feel good until probably the afternoon. That 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 afternoon cigarette may be able to give them a little bit of bump, but the whole morning basically you're smoking in order to get back to your baseline you're getting back to the baseline that somebody who wasn't smoking was doing. So, so you're using basically half a pack, just to get you to where you, where, where you would be otherwise. And then you may get a benefit from two or three of those cigarettes in the afternoon, but a lot of that's either getting back or maintaining. So a lot of the, these things, people become dependent on these supplements. Um, in one of my, I, um, 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 when I, I talk to some of the, um, the clients and patients at Nova and I do a lecture where, um, I start off and I talk about what's the, what, what are the benefits and what are the risks of what you're putting in your body? And that there's a lot of these things. And a lot of times we talk about the benefits, Hey, look at all the great stuff that this supplement does. But the, the, the thing that a lot of times gets kind of glossed over by that guy who, who speaks really softly while the per- people are hopping through the forest is like, well, this is a risk of blah, 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 blah. And we, we've kind of rated out these risks. Hey, it's respiratory depression and the and death and stuff like that. Uh, that, that, that piece is really important because like you may, there, this, there may be something that is of such great benefit that you say, I'm willing to take a fairly substantial risk. And there's, there's medications that we prescribe from people, chemotherapeutics. These have significant risks, but the, the upside is they're going to kill your cancer. Um, with these medicines, the the benefits are these, um, these substances, the benefits are really murky and there are some real risks. So if you say, well, I, I, I'm, I'm going to not, I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to get out of a benefit, but. I'm going, to get, I'm going to have some risk involved with it. Um, I mean, there's people who take risks all the time, but it, but it, it probably isn't really worth the risk. The other thing that you um, um, talked about is, well, this is really difficult stuff. How do, you under, how do you figure this out? And a lot of times I'll tell people, this isn't necessarily stuff you need to figure out by yourself, but it, you may want to ask the right questions or go to the right people and um if you're interested in supplements a lot of times people find stores that sell supplements and they have folks in those stores and and you can talk to those folks and say hey like i've heard about this what do you think about it and a lot of times if it's a person who's standing there in a store they're not really going to try to sell you a bad supplement they want your business to come back they want to do stuff so they they'll probably talk to you about hey this is this is where I've seen that this is good, but some people don't really like it. Um, the 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 place where I usually go a lot of times with these things is if if I'm more interested in what's a, what's a supplement or things then I'll, I'll talk to some of my pharmacy friends and say, what like I've heard about this compound. Do you know anything about it? Because those those are really the folks that understand how different compounds work and sometimes I'll send them a picture of what it looks like and they'll say oh yeah that has some of these rings and stuff like that that's kind of toxic we may want to avoid that one um the other person to talk to is really if you do have um and this is one of the importance of having a having a physician that you're working with that you're that you trust is to come back and I've had a bunch of folks in that um um, who uh, will come to me and say hey like I, uh, I heard about this supplement. It seems like it may help with some of my um, symptoms. What do you think? Is this something that you would recommend or is this something that that um, that you see some harm that could be potentially set up? So um, so Uncle Fred, probably not the best person to talk to about this stuff. Um, it's it's probably good to say, hey, are there are there folks who deal with this stuff day in and day out that that um, that I that we'd, um, that we'd like to kind of talk about and see. Um, usually I, I ask people, who who should you not listen to if you're in early recovery, if you're recovering from substances? Because a lot of times people I seek this and say, well, maybe I'll go on a supplement because I had a history of, of heroin addiction, but I had a lot of anxiety and the supplement sounds like a pretty good idea. Um, so probably talking to your drug counselor instead of your drug dealer is probably a better deal. Um, because they're, they, may, they may have these things, but they're not going to have your, your best safety or interest in them.
0: Dr. Lanou, you had mentioned that there's really two reasons why people use substances, either to feel good, enhance the good, or to feel less bad. And Dr. Smiltnik, in a meeting you and I were in a few weeks ago, you had mentioned that some of the research coming out during COVID is that more people are using substances to feel less bad. So I'm gonna ask each of you, in your personal clinical practice, have you seen this reflected um, in the patients and the clients that you're seeing? Are they using substances to feel less bad more often than maybe they were in the past?
2: And that's the frame through like COVID-19. So during the pandemic here, are people using substances to feel less bad? Is that the question?
0: Yeah. Are are people using substances to feel less bad more often as a result of COVID-19?
2: Yeah, I would say anecdotally, anecdotally, yes. Um, Definitely seeing that in my practice. Um, There um, appears, I'm sure there's going to be some emerging research, I imagine, um, about this. There's some data out there you know, clearly we want more time and more data to look at this to say definitively, but I anticipate that, I, I mean, this is unprecedented in, in current times, the amount of stress that people are under for a prolonged period of time, the way that people have had to flex on top of flexing on top of flexing in order to make jobs and family and, and all the things in their in their lives work, right? Um, and sometimes we're just piecing it together and the thing that worked yesterday may not work today um so yes definitely we're i'm seeing that in in clinical practice um people are trying to do the best that they can um and i think that's true now more than ever um people are arguably or some people at least are some, sort of at some of their most vulnerable when you think about um mental health concerns um uh, when you think about the way that that People may be using substances to sort of self medicate to just kind of make it through, um, if, you know, if you will. And I, my hope, my sincere hope is that, you know, once this pandemic is over, hopefully sooner than later, um, that we don't see, you know, a rapid uptick in more and more people who are struggling with addiction sort of during and secondary to these stressors, time will tell. Um, But I I think, you know, where there is adversity and where there are challenges are certainly opportunities as well. And hopefully, this can create a conversation, one of many conversations that we've been having in this country over the past several years, just about kind of who we are, what are things that are important to us. And, um, you know, when we think about you know, reducing stigma. When we think about um, being able to, um, you know, be able to come out and talk, I'm thinking about specifically the lens here of like mental health and addiction treatment of, of putting these things out here. People coming out and talking about where their struggles may be, and, and and sort of normalizing it in some ways. Because the reality is that while we're not saying it's normal or good to, you know, shoot heroin. Um, we, we know that a lot of people struggle, um, with heroin use or opioid use or alcohol use or what have you, it is not, um, it is not the exception necessarily. I I think, um, you know, we all, most people either know someone or have been impacted in some way by the effects directly or indirectly of substance use and mental health. So where am I going with that? This is a pervasive issue. I think that. you know, we have seen for a long time that people often will use in order to self-medicate. I don't think now um, is an exception to that. And I think that now more than ever, we have an opportunity to talk about where these stressors and struggles are, get it out in the open um, and and get help if you need help. And and there's no shame in that. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, Get back to living as opposed to, to just getting by.
1: We had kind of an interesting. It ended up being kind of an experiment that we did not want to do, um, with um, with Nova Counseling Services, which is a twenty eight day um, residential treatment program. So people come there, they live there. Um, you go to groups, and you sort of form like a community in recovery. So um, there's this kind of an idea of of, of the therapeutic community in that. The, the, the patients and the, and the practitioners can kind of heal each other through this community piece. So so that's there's kind of that feel with it. What, what happened was that um, about five people tested positive for COVID in the facility. Um, and what that did is basically made that there were enough contacts among the staff and among the patients that We could no longer provide care at the facility at that time. So we basically had to to shut down, clean, and quarantine the facility for two weeks. So what we did is we interrupted the treatment of these people at various stages of their treatment and said, we're really sorry, you need to go somewhere else for two weeks. This is an interruption. And then we're going to invite you back if you wish to come back. And a lot of them did. And see, so, so it was really what happens if we interrupt your treatment. And what happened was a lot of people relapsed. And these people were people who wanted treatment, they were very invested, they were there, they were doing this, it wasn't like, and and predominantly what, why did they do this? It was not because they were like, you know, I thought about drugs and I thought they'd be fun. It was really, I'm hurting and I'm not able to receive the treatment I need. And so this was a just a, a, a sudden disruption of treatment that happened. But what I feel is that COVID really, for most people, has done something like that in their life. Maybe not that extreme, but to some extent where there has been a relatively sudden significant disruption in how you are living your life or doing stuff so. that didn't feel very good. And how do people know to cope if, um, is, is really coping with the substances saying, Hey, I can't get the treatment I need. So I'm going to get the treatment I can get, which a lot of times is, is, is those substances. So, um, I I've, I found that to be a really interesting thing that happened there where it was like, yep, you know, we disrupted people's treatment and then we continued it and it revealed a lot of stuff. And um, quite frankly, it was in some ways, some of those people did well coming back because they realized how fragile the recovery process was for them, that they, they realized, you know, I was doing pretty well. And then if something is really disruptive happens, I, I'm instantly going back to these substances, which I don't think was really what people had realized was happening.
0: So, I mean, in general, a lot of people have been feeling bad over the last year for a lot of reasons, increased stress, increased anxiety, uncertainty, all of those things that now are somewhat normal after a year of COVID lockdown and COVID precautions, the whole idea of supplement is generally tied to the health and wellness industry. So we have people, adults and kids, who are feeling bad, want to feel better. Supplements are generally linked to the health and wellness industry and carry a promise to feel better. So you walk into a gas station or you search on the internet and you find TNP, teen, fenny, but you know, some of the synthetic marijuanas. Called spice sometimes, K2 at one point, Delta H THC products are now showing up on gas station and head shop counters. Um, they're available for purchase as supplements. A lot of times, without an age verification component to it, what do parents need to know or look for when it comes to some of these products that are available and accessible for kids? And I'll just add on to that. I think a lot of times when we think about youth and substance use, we think they're curious. They just want to go have a good time. It's tied to a party. But as you all just pointed out, I mean, people are using substances to feel less bad. And that includes youth.
2: So this is definitely an area um, that I feel very strongly and passionate about. and Making sure that people are aware and that they've got good information um yeah th- this whole phenomenon in craze 2 especially of like essentially gas station drugs um is is newer in some areas of the country and not in others i you know i trained and practiced in colorado prior to coming to rogers and um while you know these substances spice k2 black mamba um these synthetic cannabinoids synthetic marijuana are newer in some areas of the country. While they were not invented and did not first show up in Colorado, they've been around there for a while um, and actually, you know, are pretty hard to find or get these days because people have recognized how dangerous that they are. Um, So um, I think to begin, what I would say is, you know, certainly not saying that, that, you know, that I'm anti-supplement of any kind, but I think we need to level set in what are we talking about, right? Like, what are we getting? What are you getting? Um, and what, what do we know as far as potential pros and cons risks and benefits? The reality is that with, you know, vitamins and supplements in that industry, there's very little oversight, um, of, of a lot of those, um, products. And so, um, from a standpoint of safety, sort of the Wild West. Um, you, know, you, you don't really know what it is that you're getting. It's not, um, it's not homogenized. It's not standardized. We don't have data um, on effect or safety. So um, you know, it, I would say, broadly speaking, it can, it can be a bit of a gamble, um, a bit of roulette, if you will just because you don't really know what you're getting. And we, and I, I think it's fairly safe to say that not only you don't know what you're getting, but you don't, we don't really know or understand what are the long-term risks or benefits either. Um, and so when you think about the adolescent brain, right, which is like primed, (laughs) um, for, for saying, yeah, let's go have some fun. Let me try this. Oh, that makes you feel good. Let's let's, um, you know, I want to get that instant gratification i'll maybe think about the consequences or the risks and if i do that'll be later right um so when we think about the reward pathways and system in our brain um, during adolescence in particular compared to overall development and sophistication of the prefrontal cortex the front part of our brain that's involved with executive decision-making, higher-level thought processes. Hey, certainly not to say, I, you know, adolescents know many, adolescents were brilliant. Um, adolescents are smart individuals. We're not, it's not a question of intelligence, but rather um, being able, you know, neurobiologically kind of being primed and ready to kind of lay out all of the arguments on the table, if you will, and then making an informed decision there we know that everyone um, goes through a period of development where our brains are just geared toward hitting hitting the gas pedal, if you will, um, and, and really uh, pushing it down. And you know, maybe we'll think about the break later. So um, yeah, I, I mean this is very common that, that we see this. And and lastly, I'll just say from a prevention standpoint too, because we have to think about you know the use of substances especially prolonged or chronic or heavier use earlier on, there's not only the, the impact potentially of, of, uh, you know, negative consequences to an individual at that point in time of use, but does that potentially alter their developmental trajectory of their brain and their body down the line? Because adolescence in particular is such, um, an exciting and key time of, of, brain development um, in particular. And so that can sort of set people off on a different trajectory, um, depending on the type and the amount of substance use that's coming into play.
1: And I think as for sort of a parent or a loved one of people who could potentially be using this stuff, I think it's kind of like the, the TSA thing of like, if you see something, say something. Like, if you happen to see a wrapper or you see a container or you see a receipt or you're looking in the car and you sit on something and it looks kind of funny, those are excellent opportunities to start a conversation. Hey, I was riding in the car and I found this. What is this? What are you doing with it? It's not that I'm trying to hover over everything you're doing, but I'm I'm curious on, like, what what is it that, that you found and and why why did you find it? The supplements can harm peace, especially in the adolescents and young adults. is really um, something that hits close. I my cousins, he was a, um, a college football player at a Division one school. He's six five and at that time I think weighed two hundred seventy or two hundred eighty pounds, which is a big guy, but a big kid, but it's not big enough. So you're not big enough to actually hit and smash those people. Um, His roommate was 3'10", so he's like, how do I get bigger? And so they were talking with with folks, and and really, he, he was a smart guy. He said, I'm not doing steroids or stuff like that, but there's a bunch of these supplements that I think are safe, and started to take these things with his trainers and stuff like that would take the supplements, lift weights for three or four hours a day. And, and really to say, Hey, you know, if I want to play, I got to get bigger and I have to figure out how to do this. At uh, a point in time, he started having some, um, some flank pain. He started having some nausea and he's like, well, maybe I got a touch of the flu. Maybe I got this. Maybe I got that. I probably pulled a muscle. He was in kidney failure. And it was really his mother who said, Hey Mike, it doesn't sound like you feel very good. You want to come home. And he so he came home for the weekend from school and and she said, "Mike, you look terrible. What's going on?" And and took him in and sure enough he's in kidney failure. They went through the supplements he's using. They caused kidney failure and basically said, "No, you can't be doing this. This is this is this is not the right thing to do." So, I mean, I think people are using supplements for all kinds of reasons, but I think it's, it's one of those things where if, if to have that kind of caring thing of, of not saying, Hey, this is a judgment. Hey, you shouldn't have been taking that many supplements. This is, this is the bad, this is the wrong way to do it. Stuff like that. It's really, no, you're, you, you don't look good. What's going on and paying attention to that, paying attention to what people are saying and getting them the help they need. And luckily now he's coaching high school football and he has that story to tell and it's doing okay. So, so it's, it, it ended up being a, a happy story, but like, uh, I mean, you, you definitely hear about these these college football players who die from um, working out and taking these supplements and doing this stuff. So it's, it's one of those things where it can be very, very dangerous. And it's, it's terrible to lose the young people um, to something that, that seems to be kind of silly, but it's really people just not asking the right questions so.
3: kind of the vein of asking the right questions and parents asking the right questions. I know in some of my conversations with families, whether in my outreach role or I do some of our screenings for our Rogers programming. And, um, every so often I get parents that were really shocked because maybe for whatever reason they were doing, you know, you're in drug screens at home, or I know there was that, um, that was mentioned when we first t- started talking some of these, um, supplements or alternative substances, whatever you want to call them. sometimes they might be being used because they might not show up on that um, those different tests. Are there certain questions or things that parents should look out for? Um, I know there was one mom that was very concerned. her teen had been um, she found out that he had been ordering large amounts of, I believe it was marigold seeds or there was some sort of flower seed. Um, that she had been seeing him ordering, and that it kind of sparked some curiosity to her because her son was not interested in gardening. He ended up going down the road to doing the screening for Rogers. Um, but what are some of those things or questions, things that parents should be looking out for?
2: It, to Dr. Snoltenick's point, if you see something, say something. And working with a lot of adolescents and young adults, um, you know, if, if you know I, this is not unique to them either like i don't think anyone likes to feel like they're being policed or watched um understandably but i think when if you if we if we look for potential signs if if we're vigilant but we're not hyper vigilant right if if we are um you know just kind of being mindful and then if something does come up just having a conversation right it doesn't have to be an accusation it can just be like hey i, I noticed this or i mean frankly as a provider, I learn things from adolescents every day, um, whether it's like, you know, you know, music or culture or drugs and what, you know, different names or, you know, the, the different trends. I think being curious um, and just kind of having a conversation is so important because if someone feels that they have to be on, you know, that they have to hide or that they're on the defensive, or frankly, maybe they have something to hide you know as a parent if you're able to create a conversation um with your child with your adolescent or young adult and to let them you know know that um you know let's say they are using or abusing a substance or a drug you know to let them know that you're there for them and that like you want to talk and you're open and and clearly you know there's a difference between saying like oh you know we're not saying that, that that we condone it but also we don't want it to exist in the shadows if there's something there let's talk about it so we can try to better understand the why. And I think typically the more that we can get to the why now you're going to start having conversations that I think will be increasingly meaningful and impactful. And it, it starts with listening. And I guess last, I sorry, I should have said too, that, you know, I didn't directly answer your question. Um, Amanda, and I apologize. There's so much out there. You could probably use or abuse almost anything. So, um, you know, urine drug screen's got such a narrow scope, it's not going to catch everything. Um, they're sort of kind of common repeat offenders, if you will, but, but more than anything else, I think it starts with the conversation. One of the things that I, I think
1: also, which my seven-year-old caught me on this a couple weeks ago of, of basically saying, excuse me, dad, I'm talking. You like to start talking before I'm finished. And I think that's been something that's really been interesting. He's a kind of a precocious kid, but it's, um, it's got to me to sort of think about, am I really listening? Or am I just thinking about what I'm going to be trying to ask or trying to do? So I think really I'm um, figuring out how to engage in that act of listening, sort of picking up on what are they, what are they saying? Cause I'm guessing that's, um, or what I'm, other they not saying, because I'm guessing probably in working with the adolescents and the youth that they're they're going to eventually tell you what's going on, if you if you're going to listen. It might take a while because sometimes they just say things in one word sentences, but if if, if you really are saying, "Hey, I'm not going to talk and I'm just going to listen to what you're saying," that may be good. Um, the other thing that um, that I. Talk, talk to people about is is there a big change is all of a sudden there is no money all of a sudden the grades suck all of a sudden this stuff is happening so i think that's that's the one of the key things is is a sudden change in how things are going usually precludes something not go, not going quite right so and, and i mean that's really is um with, with a lot of these substances it may just be that all of a sudden there's a bunch of money that's gone that they used to be working and saving money and going out with their friends and now they don't have any money anymore and you're like hmm that's weird what happened to all your money um is it on marigold seeds why are you spending hundreds of dollars on marigold seeds
0: one i think that is a good example amanda that you bring up of a parent just Noticing something and being curious, and to what you guys are saying, Dr. Smeltnik and Lanou asking the question of like you're not out planting gardens, so what's happening here because this seems weird, and took steps to to get help and kind of understand the situation. um you guys have said it the last couple of minutes you've said it in your other podcast. I won't ask the question and make you say it again, but I think we can all agree that the single most effective way for parents to help prevent their children from using substances at an early age is to talk to your kids, right? To ask the questions, to be curious, to keep that communication line open and and non-judgmental and don't force anything into the shadows. Again, thank you so much for being here today and talking about these drug trends and and those may be masquerading as supplements and sharing your stories and expertise. I'm sure that there will be more trends in the future for us to talk about. Is there anything else that you'd like to share before we wrap up?
2: I would just say briefly that I, I agree with you, Samantha, and that last piece of, of, of listening, um, being open and listening. We, I think most providers would agree we can understand and appreciate that's not always easy. Right. Sometimes being curious and not interjecting um, that it takes some time and it's not always easy, especially when it's your child. Right. But I, I do think that especially in the long term, that um, as long as there's no like immediate imminent safety concerns or other things like that, that being able to listen there, a lot can be gained. So thank you again. Yeah.
1: The, the other thing that I'd like to add is that um, there is help. So um, so sometimes people will say, hey, my kid is using this weird thing that no one's ever heard of. There's no hope for this. Nobody even knows what it is. How can they treat it? Um, what we can, what we can um, The treatment for most of these substances is patterns that we've used that are other substances that we say, we know how to treat substance use disorder. Um, and we know how to treat it well and people recover. Um, just because you're using a, a weird substance um, doesn't mean that um, that this is something that, that we can't deal with or we can't work through. Don't be scared. Don't be afraid of of that treatment piece to say, hey, my kid got into something so weird that I feel I feel embarrassed about talking about it. Like the marigold seed thing, there, that could have been something where it's like, hey, I'm I'm, I am, I'm embarrassed that my kid is not a normal kid who wants to misuse methamphetamine. They want to use marigold seed. That's a weird addiction. It's still okay. We can still take care of it. So.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you all so much again for joining and sharing your expertise. I look forward to the next time. Well,
1: take care. Thank, thank you so you. much for having us.